Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic. What you're about to hear is a teaser for an episode of Flashback, my new movies podcast with Vanity Fair's Kay Austin Collins. Every two weeks, we're going to be digging into the archives and chatting about some of our favorite older movies. But these episodes are only available in full for Slate Plus members. To hear every episode of Flashback and get ad-free versions of all Slate podcasts, you can sign up for Slate Plus now at slate.com slash flashback. It's only $35 for the first year. That's slate.com slash flashback. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of Flashback, Slate's podcast about older and classic movies. This time we're going to be talking about Jonathan Demme's 1991 mega smash, five-time Academy Award winner, Silence of the Lambs, which was the suggestion of my co-host, Kay Austin Collins from Vanity Fair. Hey, Cam. Hi. How's it going? Pretty good, except that you made me watch Silence of the Lambs (laughs) twice (laughs) for the first time in... I don't know, possibly since it came out. I'm not sure. Wow. I mean, I'm pretty easily scared by certain things, and this movie has a lot of them. Like, dead body stuff always scares me a lot, and this movie has some pretty gross autopsies and stuff like that. I'm sure I've re-seen bits of it in the years since, but I believe that my two times seeing this movie prior to this week were both in 1991. Wow. in, In the theater. I hadn't realized this, but it played for nine months in the theater. I mean, that's how big of a hit it was. It opened on Valentine's Day, which is there's something very devilish and and sly about that, opening a movie like this on on Valentine's (laughs) Day to send people on a date, which is how I saw it. I don't think it was opening day, but I'm sure it was opening week. And I think I went back to that theater again to see it the same year because it was just an endless, endless rotation and was a giant hit. And I am not sure that I have willingly revisited it since just because, well, for one thing, it's totally graven in my mind. And we can talk about that the way that, you know, this movie has become such a passed around cultural object. So quoted, so imitated, you know, that you almost don't need to see it again to quote many of the lines by heart. Right. But yeah, thank you for making me go back and revisit (laughs) it, not just as a freaky thing to go experience in the theater, but as something to analyze and take apart. Because of course, when I saw it, I was not a critic and was not really watching it with an analytical eye. Um, I was just, you know, looking to be scared to death. Wow. You know, part of the reason I chose this was because this feels like a movie that everyone has seen. Like, I mean, we're still sort of in a a nod to the upcoming Oscars. Our last movie was Kramer versus Kramer, a best picture winner. And I chose this because it is one of the, first of all, one of the rare best picture winners to do the sweep of picture, director, actor, actress, and writing. Um, I think only it happened one night. And what is the other film? That's one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's yeah. Nest. That's so it was right. 1934, 1975, I think. Right. And then 1991. And, and then 1991. But also what you just said about it being in theaters for so long and the fact that it came out in February. For example, the wisdom right now is that if you want to have a film be competitive for Oscars, they come out later in the year because voters won't remember a movie like this because it comes out in February. And Get Out was the recent example of that, a film from early in the year that was able to stay alive in the conversation past multiple festivals that it didn't go to and still get a, a healthy number of you know Oscar nominations. It's sort of not the way things happen now. Generally, I feel like... Well, uh, Us, Jordan Peele's second movie, that precisely did not happen right. before, right? It came precisely. out early in the year and was neglected and forgotten by most precisely. voting bodies at the end of the year. Well, it would have been great if Get Out, because it was nominated for Best Picture, if it had won, it would have been the first horror movie since Silence of the Lambs to win Best Picture. It's sort of a rare Best Picture category. It's like Jaws, Exorcist, 
this, Get Out, and a few others, but this is the only one that won. But the fact that you're classing it with those movies, and I know it is often listed as kind of a genre breakthrough movie in that way, right? That it was a genre movie that was also an art movie. There's no question in my mind that it's somehow a genre movie. I'm not sure that genre is horror. I know that I experienced many parts of it as horror. When she finds the head in that car and the storage space is obviously horror tropes aplenty. But would you call this movie a horror movie overall? Or or what other genres might you place it in? Well, I definitely think it's a thriller as well. But I put it in horror because of the pointed use of some horror techniques, like the way that it's very deliberate in how it dishes out blood and gore, the way that those become centerpieces in the film in a way that surpassed for me where a thriller kind of goes. I think of thrillers is ultimately more psychological, and this is very psychological, but this also has people's faces getting right. <laughs> so, That's your scholarly answer. <laughs> that is, that, you know, that there's a point at which you're like, you're watching Hannibal Lecter wave a police baton through the air like the most graceful conductor, except blood is splashing up at his face every time. And it's like, okay, that's beyond thriller territory for me. We're actually, I think a movie like Get Out is closer to pure thriller for me, even though it got talked about as a horror film, because it actually doesn't have that level of just outright body horror disgustingness. Like it has a little bit toward the end, but it's sort of, you know, chaotic violence. If that's horror, then then most Tarantino movies are horror. Right. Well, certainly at the time that this movie came out, the quantity of gore that it had was only associated with things like slasher movies. And in fact, I think a lot of actors that were considered for Clarice's role turned it down because of the horror, right? Right. Michelle Pfeiffer, who'd worked another great Demi film. We're going to have to talk about how great Demi is married to the mob. I think first of all, she was his first choice. She was his first choice. Uh, Foster wasn't. She had to lobby for it and it helped that other people were too grossed out. Meg Ryan, I think, was too grossed out. Nicole Kidman refused to do it. Right. And apparently Laura Dern wanted the role but was considered too not famous at the time. She was not a big enough star to get the role. Can you imagine how different it would have been with Laura Dern? I mean, still a great performance, I'm sure, but it would have been so different. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I love this game where you replace an actor with the people, first of all, the people that the director thought would be a fit. And Michelle Pfeiffer movie is different than this movie. I can see Laura Dern working in a movie that is pretty much kind of like this. But the Michelle Pfeiffer version, the Meg Ryan version, these are different energies entirely. I can see Laura Dern and Jodie Foster kind of being simpatico in some ways. But the Meg Ryan, (laughs) Meg Ryan with that Hannibal Lecter. Wow. I don't know if that would work for me, actually. I mean, I will say that in the cut, the thriller oh, that yes. Meg Ryan did, <laughs> while not up to the level of the book, I loved the book in the cut. Right. I only liked the movie and it kind of fell apart at the end. But right. Meg Ryan was kind of great in it. You did see a different Meg Ryan that, that might have been. Do you yeah. know who was the first choice for the Hannibal Lecter role? It's such a funny name to associate with it. Sean Connery. Oh, right. And I don't even know if he even ever read for it, but that was who Demi different pictured movie. and had in mind. Yeah, totally different, much more masculine kind of energy. Right. right. I just don't feel like he could have had that sinuousness. Yeah. And maybe it's just because Sean Connery is so frequently imitated and everybody has their Sean Connery voice or something. But I feel like it could have become it would have become a kitschier role in memory, right. you know, and Bond maybe... the cannibal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a completely different film. I think part of the reason that this movie swept the awards and also the box office in the way that it did, it, it is because I I ultimately cannot imagine anyone else in any of these roles. Every supporting character, it's partially because I've seen the movie probably a million times. It was always on TV and it's one of those, if it's on TV, I'm going to watch it type movies, but just extremely astute 
casting. It is really difficult for me to imagine Jodie Foster not being the top candidate for this. She'd already won an Oscar for The Accused. Um, she'd been a superlative and incredibly just preternaturally insightful actor since as early as things like Taxi Driver. Right. She's just always seemed ahead of her years in a particular way that is different than some of the other actors who were considered for this role. Like, I don't think they bring the same level of that that she does. Um, well, and the fact that we know her as a child actor, I mean, totally. you know, I completely associate her with being a child actor, probably up until around the time of The Accused. That was kind of her graduating, right, right? that she can do big girl roles now and get prizes for them. And, you know, being roughly in her age cohort and remembering her as this kid actor, not just in stuff like Taxi Driver, which I couldn't see when I was when a movie <laughs> right. like that came out. Right. Right. So, you know, I saw her in things like Freaky Friday. I associated her with this certain kind of the tomboyish Harriet the Spy kid, right. you know. And so seeing her move into this kind of role, you also carry that with you. And so that vulnerability is part of what you feel about Clarice, of course, whose childhood is really important to the movie. Right. Um, even without the flashbacks. I want to talk about the flashbacks when we get there for sure. I think the movie would work fine without the flashbacks. It's one of the very few things that I think are extraneous to this very tightly constructed 118 minute long movie. But yeah, our tenderness toward Clarice, I think, is also impacted by our experience of Jodie Foster through time. Yeah. Another part of the Jodie Foster narrative is the John Hinckley stalking incident post-Taxi Driver. It's, it's really interesting to think about how familiar we were with Jodie Foster, both on screen, but also off screen in significant ways by the time of this movie. Because what I like about this movie is that despite how familiar she is to me, or maybe because of that, I can see like the subtle essences of this performance in a way. Like Jodie Foster is not someone that I think of as playing the same role all the time, even though she does have qualities that I think are similar between her characters. Generally, I'm going to see a strong woman, I think, if I'm looking at a Jodie Foster character. I'm going to see a character who's going to most likely survive whatever ordeal she's in. Right. Someone steely. Someone steely. A loner, kind of an outsider. Yeah, right. And that, like, the tomboy stuff comes into that. And you can just imagine a lot of stories going to that. But something about this role, it helps that Hannibal's talking about how cheaper clothes are all the time. <laughs> like, the sense of, you know, the humble background. But it's, the, like, the accent, too. It's the steadied gaze. We actually have to talk about Demi and, and his close-ups and what he does with just looking at the viewer. Actually, that's maybe a good place to dive into specifics. So, yeah. I mean, the first detail that I wanted to mention about it is actually before the two of them come face to face. And it's in some- to listen to the full episode, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash flashback. 